Take your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be talking, we're in between 1 Peter, we finished that up two weeks ago, and we're going to begin 2 Peter on June the 5th, but these next two Sundays we're going to talk about money matters of the heart, something we haven't talked about in a long time, and uh, just to kind of frame this discussion, I want you to turn your attention to the screens as we watch a video called Reimagining Generosity. Let's watch this video together. We all know what generosity is. Generosity is when the haves give to the have-nots. It's the billionaire pledge, the big gift, the big check. It's stewarding your time, talent, and treasure wisely to share the excess with others. But if we have the right map, why can't we find our way? Christians tithe a far smaller share of their income today than they did during the Great Depression. For all the calls to stewardship and radical giving in recent decades, our wealth has skyrocketed, debt has expanded, and giving is part of it. The Bible presents a much grander, richer vision of generosity. Generosity is central to the heart of God. It's not about money, and it's not about me. We're created in the image of the greatest giver in the universe. Everything we have is a gift. God made us by and for generosity. J.I. Packer calls generosity the focal point of God's moral perfection. God gave us life so that we could give life to one another. God gave us Christ so we could give Christ and us to others. This means generosity is not merely a luxury of the rich. It stands at the heart of our creation, our salvation, our purpose. That's why generosity is about so much more than money. Financial stewardship is not the capstone, but merely the groundwork of a generous life. If stewardship is like the law, generosity is like grace, surprising, extravagant, and always overflowing our petty calculations of what's possible, prudent, and deserved. The generous giver does not build himself up, he lays himself down to lift up another. Jesus did not just give us things, he gave himself to us and reconciled with us. Christ-like generosity is never merely transactional, it's relational. It's not just sending food to the tables of the poor. It's inviting the poor to our tables. And when we've learned to love deeply, relational generosity becomes sacrificial generosity. Like Christ, we make ourselves poor to make others rich. So what if we truly began to give our first and finest, not the least in leftover? What if we took righteous risks for a kingdom harvest? What if we tore down the walls and gave ourselves one to another? What if we were less intent on building a legend of greatness than forming a legacy by making others great? What if we gave not only our excess, but our essence, helping men and women become who God made them to be? See, generosity is not an obligation, but an invitation. An invitation to participate in God's redemption of all things and to know the great joy of the great giver as we live the life that's truly life. Let's kind of frame our discussion over the next two weeks of the messages, and I hope you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Matthew, 9, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We'll begin there. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And a verse that always challenges me when I read it, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Today we're going to talk about a very important spiritual matter in our lives, how we view the money God gives us and how does Jesus want to use our money. God is generous. Think about it. That video talked about how he gives us life. And uh, as he creates life on this earth as human beings, he produces in us the capacity to reproduce that life. Think about all the things that are growing around us this spring and how many of those trees and plants give off seeds to multiply and spread. Continual examples of God's generosity to continue to repopulate and regrow this world that he's created. Jesus says a lot about money in the New Testament. Some say he talks more about money than anything else. Others say he talks about the kingdom, but he uses the money. But regardless of how you look at it, Jesus had a lot to say about money and the priorities in our life and how we use this resource to pay our bills, to be entertained, to provide a home, and to give back to God because ultimately it all comes from him. I love Psalm 50, verse 10. It says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. And one time I heard an African-American pastor say, also the tater in those hills as well. So God owns it all, everything. And I realize that some of you may be saying, pastor, this is not a good time to be talking about money and giving more to God. On the contrary, I think as inflation rises, as a stock market has dipped lower than when Joe Biden came into office, as gas prices rise to possibly $6 per gallon in August, as grain shortages are occurring, and we may have a shortage on bread and other things related to grain, as we face a baby formula crisis, and as we see the Fed continuing to raise interest rates again soon, God wants us to re-examine our priorities when it comes to our finances. One of the most important things to use our money for. We need to take care of our temporal needs. We need to make sure that we are caring for our family. We're paying our bills. And that we'll be good stewards and good testimony with our money. But we also need to take into account our investment into eternal things. Giving to God is part of our spiritual growth and our journey as a disciple of Christ. Now, it's interesting, the timing, as we think of these messages. I was planning these back in January just about the time our current president was being inaugurated, had no clue that when we got to uh, May 22nd that we would be in the situation that we're in. God calls us to be wise stewards and generous with the things that God has given us. And he wants our time, he wants our talents, he wants our spiritual gifts, and he wants our treasure as well to be used for his glory. And today we're going to look at our treasure, our money, and our possessions and how God will use them as resources to expand his kingdom through each and every one of us. After many years, money has now come to be a means to an end for me. Money's a tool or resource to meet the needs of my family and the needs of ministry, my ministry or the ministry of this church and other places that we financially give. So when we think of this matter of giving, it's our attitude that's the most important thing to God. And I believe this, God is not so much interested in how much you give as he is about your attitude toward giving to him. But I do believe the more we surrender to God and grow in our trust of God and faith in him, it will cause us to increase our giving. 
Today we're going to look at possible attitudes that we may face in our giving to God for his work. And next week we're going to look at the types of scriptural giving God gives us as an act of worship. And so on the screen, next thing, let's say this together. Giving is an act of worship. Let's say it again. Giving is an act of worship. I think sometimes we see it in the program, we talk about it and pray about it, but it is an act of worship that we do each and every week. So we're going to look at first at what negative attitudes to avoid when we consider giving back to God what is rightfully his. So I encourage you to take out your outlines and fill in these blanks as we first of all talk about negative attitudes toward giving to God. What are some negative attitudes? Well, first of all, would be coerced to give out of guilt, to give out of guilt. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There was a 13-year-old Girl Scout who sold 11,200 boxes of Girl Scout cookies and asked how she did it. You have to look people in the eye and make them feel guilty. Isn't that the truth? Whenever I see those people at Walmart or whatever, I can't hardly pass by, right, without buying a box of Thin Mints or whatever it may be. Well, it may be easier to make people feel guilty about buying a box of Girl Scout cookies than to have some people feel guilty about giving to the Lord. But we should never, as church leaders and pastors, make people feel they are coerced into giving. Giving is giving to the Lord first, but it's also giving to the church to further God's kingdom through the building, through salaries, through utilities, and probably most importantly of all the ministries and the missionaries that we support. I think of a young lady who came to uh, my youth group when I was youth pastor, and her mom and her had gone around to a lot of different churches. They were looking for a church for her and her brother, Shalana and, and DeMartin, to come to. And uh, they shared a story about one church that they went to where the offering was passed, and then the sermon was preached, and then it was uh, understood by the people who counted the money that they didn't get enough money that week. So they had a second offering, they were telling me, and the ushers came and they stood in front of everybody until they gave or embarrassed them by doing that. That is coercive. That is out of compulsion. And some people feel they have to begrudgingly pay their dues to God or they try to get in good with God by giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it talks about reluctantly. In the Greek, that means grievous, heaviness, sorrow. Out of compulsion, it says they're constrained, distressed. Those are the wrong attitudes to have about giving. A second one would be giving with an expectation to get back. Giving with an expectation to give back. And there are promises in God's word, like Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. But this is the basis for prosperity theology or prosperity gospel, where you see those people on TV, and they say, if you give me $100, God will give you $1,000, right? Send in that seed money and watch it grow. But the Bible doesn't teach anywhere that all believers will be rich. Some of the richest people I know are people who are very frugal in the way they live their lives, but give away most of their money to God and to his ministries. 
God talks about the benefits of people who may not have much money in this life. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 6, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. In that same chapter, in verse 11, it says, A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. So don't give to get. But there is a principle there we'll talk about next week, that if you're faithful to give, God will provide for your needs, and he will give not just financially, but in a lot of different ways in your life. In Acts chapter 8, we hear about people who are trying to buy God's power. Trying to buy God's power. Here's a story in the book of Acts. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You see, Simon... He saw this miracle, and he wanted the power for himself, for selfish reasons. He wanted to make money. He wanted to be popular. He wanted to have a following. But God's power is free, but it's not cheap, and it cannot be bought. There are some charlatans out there trying to buy God's power for selfish reason. Another negative attitude not to have when we think of giving, giving to look good in front of others. Giving to look good in front of others. In Luke chapter 21, a section of scripture I'm sure you're very familiar with, Jesus and the disciples, they were at the temple, and it says Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. If you want to receive your fleeting rewards on earth, one way is to give to impress other people. Think about the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They wanted to impress everybody by how much they gave, and they lied to the Holy Spirit, and they lied to the apostles when they brought their gifts. And they were struck down dead right on the spot when confronted with that situation. Being anonymous in your giving is important because it should be between you and God alone. Charles Spurgeon, who is a famous evangelist, and his wife, according to an article in the Chaplain magazine, they would sell but refuse to give away any eggs their chickens laid. Even close relatives were told, you may not have them, you have to pay for them. As a result, some people thought they were greedy and they were grasping for wealth. And you know what? The Spurgeons accepted the criticism. They didn't defend themselves. It was only after Mrs. Spurgeon died was the full story revealed. All the profits from the sale of the eggs that they raised went to support two elderly widows. And so because the Spurgeons chose to remain anonymous about where that money was going, they endured the attacks in silence. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they're giving, because they were wanting to sit at the 
head table because they wanted to be getting all the power and the pomp and circumstance and glory. But they were showing a form of spirituality on the outside, but Jesus called them whited sepulchers because they were dead spiritually on the inside because they wanted to show off their spirituality. Here's a quote that I think about a lot. The trouble is that too many people are spending money they haven't yet earned for things they don't need to impress people they don't like. Think about that. And I'm guilty of that at times, too. The trouble is that too many people are spending money they haven't yet earned for things they don't need to impress people they don't like. Think about your motives for giving. Another negative attitude is give to gain eternal life. Give to gain eternal life. You and I, we cannot buy God's favor, period. You already have all the unconditional, infinite love bestowed upon you because God lovingly saved you by his grace and brought you into his family. You don't have to do anything to earn anything more with him to gain favor. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Titus 3, 5, he saved us. There's nothing we could do on our own. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Good works, giving money in the offering plate will not get us into heaven. God is not wowed by how much money we give. After all, he created it and he owns it all and God is not in need of anything. In Acts chapter 17, Paul was talking to the, to the religious people, pagans, there in Marseille and he said, nor is he, God, served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So what's our application here? We are to examine our hearts and avoid these wrong motives for giving to the Lord. And as we go through our Christian life, we need to continue to do that. Sometimes we do get in the habit of having some negative attitudes or motives for giving, and they can creep in. And we need to constantly be uh, examining why it is we give and what it's all about. So what are the positive attitudes? Let's flip the coin. Look to the other side, positive attitudes toward giving to God. First of all, a cheerful heart toward God. That should be our attitude. We read 2 Corinthians 9, 7 a few moments ago, but look at the last few words. For God loves a cheerful giver. A mother wanted to teach her daughter a very important lesson about giving, and so as they were approaching the church door, they, she gave, the mother gave her daughter a dollar and a quarter. And she says, it's all up to you how much you want to put in the offering plate, either the dollar or the quarter. And so as they were coming out of church, the mom wanted to hear what was the result of, of the lesson that maybe she learned. And she said, well, I was about ready to put that dollar in, but then the man behind the pulpit said, be a cheerful giver. So I put the quarter in so I could keep the dollar and still be a cheerful giver. Cheerful there in the Greek is from the Greek word hilaria, which we get hilarious. Literally, it means that we are to be hilarious givers. So filled with joy, you can't contain yourself. We should consider it a joy and a privilege to give back to the Lord out of appreciation for all that God has done for us. 
James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. God is a fair person who gives back to his people and provides for us the things that we need. How can we not give back to him? Another positive attitude would be to gain perspective in our money priorities. I think this is probably the most important one that we talk about today. We read, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It has been said you can tell a lot about a person's priorities by looking at his checkbook and seeing how he or she spends their money. We need to set priorities on, on how we do spend our money. As Dave Ramsey would say, we need to sign every dollar to some, something that we're going to do or give to or take care of a debt in our life. So we need to set our priorities. We need to think about our debts, avoid debts. Yes, with the exception probably of a house or a car, plan for a crisis, the emergency fund. Make sure you are well-funded for those things like, you know, the roof gets a leak or the refrigerator goes and be prepared for those things. Retirement, preparing for those years when you leave the workforce and you move into your older time of life. Invest into those things in, in retirement. Have life insurance. Have health insurance. Those are all very good and practical things to do and make those a priority. One thing I was challenged on a few weeks ago when I was watching the grandparenting night, uh, they had a, a person on there from Ron Blue's organization. He talked about putting something in your budget called legacy investing. Legacy investing, it means uh, putting aside money to do fun things with your kids and grandkids now instead of always just leaving it all for them later but you can have build memories together so you invest into that proportionate giving to the church should be top of the list as we think of our priorities but we need to learn how to be content with our priorities with our money we need to be at peace with god i love the apostle paul in philippians chapter 4 he said, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And listen to what he says in verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Think about where he was writing from. He was writing from a prison cell. And he says, I know what it was to have steak with the king. And I know what it is to be in prison and have uh, uh, bread and water. And he says, I've learned in every situation to be content. And when our priorities with our money are set in the right place, and we're at peace with God in that, then we have something very few people in the world have, and that's a sense of contentment, contentment with God. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. In Luke 12, 15, and Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It isn't the one with the most toys at the end of life wins. That's not what he's saying. He's saying here, hey, it's not found in the abundance of possessions. Another positive thing that we need to have is to give as you have ability to give. To give as you have ability to give. We're going to talk about our ability to give more next week. We're going to talk about the different types of giving found in the Bible. 
There's four of those. And in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 17, it says, Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. So as God blesses us, we should be giving back to him. In 2 Corinthians 8, 12, For if the readiness is there, is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. God's not asking many times, most of the time, to give beyond your means. There are times, as we'll talk about next week, where he might ask you to step out on faith and do some things with faith promise giving or sacrificial offerings. But again, it's not the amount that we give, but that we give with the right heart attitude. And then another positive attitude that we need to have is to give of yourself first to God. Give of yourself first to God. That's where it all begins. If we are living sacrifices, as it says in Romans 12:1, if we're surrendered to Christ and he has every aspect of our life, then he has control of our money as well. I love this story in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about this group of believers in Macedonia. Listen to the story Paul tells us. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God. Now think about that. Paul was going along. He was going back and visiting some of the churches that he had previously planted. He was telling them about the need because the believers in Jerusalem were suffering a tremendous uh, hunger, hunger time. They were without food, and they needed money to feed the people. And so as he went along, he, he even tried to tell the Macedonian believers not to give because you are so poor and you're so persecuted. And it says they gave not just of their means, but beyond that generously. And they dedicated themselves first to the Lord and then gave by the will of God. Powerful thoughts. So Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Like playing the piano, giving is a skill. With practice, you learn to get better and better as you play the scales, as you learn the fingerings on a piano. So it is the more you give and the more you grow in that area of giving, you get better at it. You become more strategic. We teach the pursuit of excellence in our vocations. Why not make giving something we study, we discuss, and sharpen striving for excellence? As we just said, the Macedonian believers gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. What does it mean to give beyond their ability? It means pushing past our giving to the point where the figures don't add up. It means giving when the bottom line says it won't work. Here's a great illustration. There was a guy named Scott Lewis and his wife, and they attended a conference where Bill Bright, who was the president then of Crew, uh, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, and he was challenging people at that conference to give $1 million to help fulfill the Great Commission. Well, Scott and his wife laughed at that far beyond anything they could imagine since his machinery business that he owned was generating an income for their family of under $50,000. 
Bill Bright asked Scott, how much did you give last year to Campus Crusade for Christ? Scott felt pretty good about his answer. He said, well, we gave $17,000, which was 35% of their income. Without blinking an eye, Bill Bright responded over the next year, why don't you make it a goal of $50,000 for the upcoming year? Scott thought Bill hadn't understood. That was more than he made all year. But Scott and his wife decided to trust God with Bill's challenge, asking God to do the impossible. God provided in amazing ways, and with a miraculous December 31st provision, the Lewis family was able to give Campus Crusade for Christ $50,000 God had provided. Randy Alcorn, who wrote the story in the Treasure Principle book, he said, Scott wrote me a note saying that in 2001, stating they had passed the $1 million mark in their giving to Campus Crusade for Christ. That's what it means to excel in giving. God wants you and your heart and your mind and your values and all of you, not your money. God is more interested in your willingness to surrender than how much you give. J.L. Kraft, who was the founder of the Kraft Cheese Corporation, said this, the only investment I ever made, which is paid consistently increasing dividends, is the money that I have given to the Lord. So here's the application for you and I. So we think about the positive attitudes May we start our giving by first giving over our hearts to the Lord so he will have his way in all aspects of our lives. It's giving of ourselves. It's saying, Lord, here's my checkbook. I lay it on the altar. Here's my entertainment choices. Here's all the areas of our life. And letting God be Lord of all those things. Are we giving to the Lord with the anticipation of what amazing things God is going to do for his kingdom through my tithes and my offerings. Our key thought is this, as we give to God in an act of worship financially, we are giving to his church so that the gospel will go out and Christ followers will become disciple makers. And we can expand that to our missionaries also going out to the far reaches of the world, like the Timothy Initiative and making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So here's some questions to ponder this week as we close. What are your motives in giving to the Lord? I encourage you to take some time this week to put that in your prayer journal or make that part of your prayer time. What is your motive in giving to the Lord? Am I being a good steward, a good manager of the money and possessions God has given me? How am I doing with that? And will I examine my priorities when it comes to how I spend my money this week? Martin Luther, the reformer, said this, People go through three conversions, their head, their heart, and their pocketbook, unfortunately not all at the same time. You and I need to re-examine our priorities, why we give, what we give, and surrender them over to the Lord. Let's bow for prayer. As we examine our hearts this morning, I just want to take a few moments and have some quiet time with you and the Lord. Someone say they need to ask God to help them examine their motives for giving, and to ask God to lead them and stretch their faith in this area of giving. Some may need to say, you know, Lord, I've, I've looked at this thing of giving all wrong. I've given begrudgingly. I've given because I felt like I had to, or I felt guilty if I didn't. But Lord, help me to learn 
how to be a cheerful giver. Lord, help me to look at the priorities of giving, especially in this chaotic world as everything is changing with inflation and gas prices and stock markets down. Help us, Lord, to reevaluate as a couple our priorities with our finances, but also our priorities in giving. Take a moment. Just spend a moment with the Lord. Father, 1 John 4 says that you loved us before we loved you. That's an amazing thought. That we, before we were part of your family, before we crossed the line of faith, before we asked you to come into our heart and be our Savior, Lord, you loved us. You cared for us. You were the hound of heaven seeking us with your Holy Spirit and your word to draw us to yourself. What an amazing grace that we have. And so, Lord, how can we not faithfully give back to you? How can we not, in a positive way, have a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude, not want to give back to you this, these finances that you use to multiply, that you use to expand your kingdom? And so, Lord, I pray that you help us this week to really pray in this area of our spiritual maturity, this area of giving, and this area of faith in giving this week. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.